0: hey everyone this is jp real quick before we start today i want to tell you about an app called train your ears if you listened to the eq episode you heard me talk about train your ears and it's an app that really helped me to get my ear around the frequency spectrum so if you're struggling to hear 200 hertz versus say 300 or 400 hertz, I highly recommend this app to you. Go to www.trainyourears.com slash MPT, as in Music Production Talks. And if you buy it via that link, we get a small kickback and we would really appreciate the support. Thanks so much and on with the show.
1: Hello and welcome. Each week on Music Production Talks, join me, Chris Jacoby. And me, JP Ruggieri. As we skip over teaching you how to make fat beats and record screaming electric guitars. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And instead, we're gonna jump straight into having nuanced conversations about producing music that actually says something. If you're a musician that
0: wants to discover how to actually record your songs in a way that you want them to sound, or you're a producer that's looking to hone your skills, Or maybe you just want to hear interesting stories from the other side of the class, so to speak, you are in the right place. All right, let's get on with the show. Hello everybody. And welcome back to music production talks. Uh, we are very excited about this week's episode. I think we're on episode like 15 or something. We we are, um, officially hitting puberty and, uh, we have a lot of hormones running through our podcast right now, and, and we're excited about it. And um, uh, today's going to uh, be a very special episode because we have our first uh, guest on the show, um, and we're very excited about that. But before we introduce our guests, I want to introduce my co-host and say hi to my dear friend, Chris Jacoby. Chris, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. I'm uh, horned up for this pubescent episode. <laughs> no i'm just jordan's kidding. like uh, uh I, I'm, what kind I don't want to do the show guys? anymore i gotta go guys <laughs> <laughs> all right jordan it was great having you on um just bye just kidding just kidding
0: so our guest today is uh is a longtime friend of, of mine from the new york city days and um he is a native of houston texas And his name is Jordan Rose. He's a fantastic drummer who I believe is uh, one of the best groove drummers out there today and one of my favorites. Uh, Jordan is a Grammy and Latin Grammy nominated drummer and has performed throughout the US, Canada, Europe, Mexico, Asia, and even the Middle East. He now resides in Brooklyn, New York, where his talents as as a session and touring drummer have given him the opportunity to collaborate with musicians such as Jacob Collier, Charlie Hunter, Joe Louis Walker, Corey Wong, Theo Katzman, and Joe Dart. Jordan is also currently performing on the Broadway hip musical Dear Evan Hansen. Um, another thing to note that we're going to get into today is from 2007 to 2010, Jordan fought uh, some hearing loss where he almost lost all of his hearing and um, I'm particularly interested in that because I'm dealing with some hearing loss right now um, through through this experience Jordan has uh, developed an a uh, even deeper connection with music and sound and the healing powers of it so all that to say uh, welcome to the show Jordan Rose how's it going Jordan
2: Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. I was totally joking when I said said I had to go. I'm, I'm honestly really stoked to be here with you guys. I respect both of you very much and I'm excited to chat and wish I was interviewing you because I know I could learn so much from you guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words and uh, thanks for being here. Jordan. How long have we known each other? I've been I've been trying to think about when we met. Was it 2013? I, I was like, has it been almost 10 years?
2: I think it has because I met you right in the very beginnings of my New York journey, which started almost 10 years ago. So yeah. uh, I'm going to say it's been about 10 years. Wow.
0: Um, Jordan and I played a weekly gig together. Maybe sometimes it was twice a week. I don't know. Toshi, um, Toshi, <laughs> Toshi loves you. He I does. think it Was the Wi-Fi password right?
2: And there was so a thanks. there was a big bright neon sign that said Toshi loves you. Oh right, wasn't right. there? Yeah,
0: <laughs> there was. It was a gig that we did um, with you know f- fairly stale music except for when me Jordan and the keyboard player Eric Finland um, got to got to run the stage for ourselves and we would just go into old jazz and blues standards and it was awesome and yeah. so much fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And uh but yeah, it, you uh we have both come a long way since those days uh and it it seems like not that long ago but but also very long ago and since then uh both of us have got very into recording which is why I thought you would be so much fun to get on the show. Yeah. Um to talk about Talk about um, kind of your experience with drumming and uh, where you started off with it, but also where you're at with it now. And I thought maybe a good place to start was would just be, how did you get started with the drums? Tell me your, er, your earliest experiences with the drums and what got you started.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and my family's musical. Nobody pursued it professionally, but my mom plays the piano. She... To this day, she still plays in like uh, the local congregation that we grew up going to. Um, she plays sometimes the piano and sometimes the organ. My dad mm-hmm. plays a little piano, and he would be in like the church choir and stuff like that. Um, I'm the youngest. I have two older brothers. And my oldest brother, he was always really into music, and so he would... Go buy CDs. You know, I remember him buying like Nirvana, or he went through like a country phase, you know, Garth Brooks and whatever, and and he would just be blasting them around the house. And um, I always looked up to him and would just kind of be into whatever music he was listening to. So that made an influence or made an impact on me. And uh, my middle brother, he joined the percussion section. He was a couple years ahead of me in school, and in sixth grade, that's the beginning of middle school where I grew up. Um, you know, you can choose to join the band. And, and so both of my brothers joined the band. And so I just, I thought, that's what you do. When you get to sixth grade, you join the band. And um, I remember when it was time for me to choose which instrument I would study in band, uh, it was like a big event. You would go to the school, you know, you're still in elementary, still in fifth grade, but you go to the big middle school. You meet with the band directors and let them know what instruments you're interested in. And then, you know, they, they, uh, I guess, give you permission to, you know, play whatever instrument. Um, But I remember my mom on the drive over there, she was like, now, honey, like, I know you want to play percussion, like, but there's always a lot of people who want to play percussion. So they're probably going to try and (laughs) talk you into something else where they have less people that are interested. So she's like... You know, and you're a big guy, they might try and get you to play the tuba.
0: Tuba. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was just gonna make a joke about the tuba, yeah. but that's actually what happened.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went in there with the mind like I can't let them talk me into playing the tuba, you know, this shy, you know, yeah. large uh fifth grader, because I've always been, you know, tall and, and big for my for my age. But uh anyway, I I persevered and I got to join the percussion section. And honestly, it was just one of those things where it just clicked like I remember from the first time I, I played percussion and, um, you know, like the first time playing a paradiddle, I was just like, I just loved it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and honestly, I don't think there's been many days that have gone by where I haven't had that same kind of feeling that I had when I was, you know, mm-hmm. 12 years old, first starting, uh, my first private lesson teacher, uh, which I got set up with through the school, in sixth grade happened to be um, like a, a jazz head. He was really into drum set and and he was actually a, a great musician and just somehow he was in the school's system to be a private teacher. And he made a huge impact on me by introducing me uh, to jazz and to drum set in general, because at school we didn't study drum set. It was just, you know, snare drum and mm. glockenspiel sure. and, you know, the standard. So, Uh, Eric Reininger studied with him for about a year and then he disappeared. And, uh, but he really set me off into this journey and here we are, however many 20 something years later, you know?
0: Yeah. Wow. So, um, I find that really interesting and a lot of the things that you're saying are kind of resonating with me. One of the questions I was going to ask you, but it sounds like I already know the answer just from hearing you talk, is is has there ever been any moments where you've you've been pulled towards other instruments, but you decided not to? I mean, obviously you're 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 a drummer and that's your sole thing. It sounds like that passion for that one instrument is still just as strong as it was that first day though, which is beautiful.
2: Thanks. It's funny because, honestly, I never really have been pulled elsewhere. Um, I'm a pretty like simple minded person. Like my wife kind of makes fun of me because she's like, she'll tell people that she's never met someone who's just so content like doing one thing, and that mm. that one thing for me is is drumming and. I've always just been happy doing that, and I think I will be until the day I die. Yeah. Whereas my wife, she's very talented in many areas, but she loves to to do a lot of things. So it's, you know, it's kind of the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just a, a simple, simple minded drummer. Like I texted you guys the other day.
0: <laughs> well, right. tha- I think I think that's a great way to put it because one of the things, as you know, just from knowing me, that I I love in musicians is um, simplicity and, um, uh, 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 economy and, sure. uh, taste and, and, and groove and feel. And, um, that's why I, 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 love playing with you so much. And I love you. I love your playing so much is because that's the type of musician that you are. And it's very fitting that that's how your personality is as well. I'm curious. on. Yes. Um, on some of your earlier like how did you get into that style of playing was there was there was there a certain musician that you heard that was playing that their playing was very much geared towards the groove and um and that kind of sparked a fire in you and then how how did you approach uh developing your sense of groove
2: yeah well There was kind of a pivotal pivotal moment where I remember just being deeply struck by the power of groove. And that happened watching a DVD, or actually, sorry, it was a VHS Yeah, it was. (laughs) Um, my, My private teacher, Eric, who I mentioned, lent me a Buddy Rich Memorial Concert VHS tape. And it Mm -hmm. was basically the Buddy Rich big band, um, and they would have guest drummers. And they would have like three drummers a night. Uh, And the DVD, the show that I had, or sorry, the VHS, was Vinnie Caliuta, Dave Weckl, and Steve Gadd. And I wore this tape out. I watched it so many times that I remember the first time watching it, uh, it started with like Dave Weckl playing a couple tunes uh, with the big band, and, you know, I was blown away. Dave Weckl is an amazing musician, and I was sure. like, wow, how can he play so so fast, so clean, you know, as someone just starting. Yeah. Blew my mind. Then Val- Vinnie Calyuta got up, same type thing. Like, I noticed some differences in sound and approach, but kind of a similar, you know, very technically proficient, uh, also very musical, um, and just blew me away. But then Steve Gadd got up there, and I remember just like, I'm getting chills just, just telling the story. I remember the feeling I had, like it was so deep. Like he just put every part of his heart and soul into what he played with the big band. And I remember just being like, Oh my gosh, who is this guy and how is he doing that? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so, you know, he played a couple tunes with the band and then they did a three part drum solo where, they were basically trading off, you know, trading eights, trading fours. And, uh, you know, they had this arrangement. Then they played this groove together. And, um, you know, I remember when Steve, when it would come to Steve Gadd and it was his time to play, you know, his his eight bars or whatever. It was just so simple, but it was so powerful. It was like, you know, same thing as, as when he was playing yeah. with the big band. Um, and... Man.
0: That's what he does so well, isn't it? I what yeah. one one of my one of my closest friends, Chris Johnson, who's a great drummer, um, is a huge Steve Gadd fan and he saw James Taylor while Steve was playing with them Yes. And uh I think it was um country country road, uh walking down the country road. Oh, there there's yeah. that there's that outro there where where Steve Gad plays a solo like just like a, a quick solo at the end while they're kind of like vamping that outro, and my friend Chris was standing up and Steve not <laughs> played this like. Two or four bar Phil thing, and my friend Chris just fell over. What? <laughs> no, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious, That's He just fell over. <laughs> I was like, that is ridiculous, but I get it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's power
2: in that groove, man. That's
0: that is how you play a groove right there. <laughs> yes, <just> sir. <laughs> Oh man. But groove is such a, um, elusive thing in ways. I I know that Jacoby and I have totally geeked out over groove so much over the years and we still do. How do you, how, how do you develop your sense of groove? Um, and and like the difference between good time and good feel and I don't know, talk to me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for saying that I have good groove. Um, I, I, it's, you know, a work in progress and I'm still figuring out how to navigate that because like you said, it is an elusive thing, but, um, I guess part of my development of, of how I approach groove and, and where I place the beat and my feel, um, has come from the things that I listened to, you know, the influences growing up in Texas. Uh, my first teacher, Eric Reininger, he told me, if you leave Texas as a drummer and you don't have a good shuffle, you're mm-hmm. like a disgrace. To <laughs> You failed. <to, laughs> yeah. <laughs> a Disgrace to the Texas drumming community. And, and, uh, so I got into blues from a young age, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Albert King mm-hmm. and BB King and you know on and on and um I had a neighbor uh uh a friend like a an adult he was like my parents age but he was really into the blues and when he learned that I was into it also he he was like yes i'm going to i'm going to take jordan out to see blues on weekends and my parents were cool with it they trusted him nice and so he would take me to all these blues clubs in Houston where i grew up and i would just sit there and i remember being really um just kind of blown away by how these drummers and some great drummers you know there's bands that would come from austin just great blues drummers but they would play the same thing over and over again yeah and it was so consistent but i just remember the feeling it brought to the room you know people were dancing i remember it made me feel good and uh that really made an impact on me just seeing how the repetitiveness of a groove can uh can make an impact and, and can make, you know, make you feel a certain way. So I think those early experiences in my teenage years kind of helped me realize, like, I can play the same thing over and over. And that's, that's gonna, uh, that's a good thing, you know? Whereas I think, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we can listen to music where there's fills often, you know, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it can teach us that, oh, uh, we have to play a fill every four bars and, you know, and that's just a different approach. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, those experiences of seeing a lot of good drummers growing up and, and uh, you know, and, and being exposed to, you know, Steve Gadd and then starting to learn about more groove based drummers over the years and listening to them. Has has influenced the way that I play. Um. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Yeah. I'm 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 curious about any specific things that you can remember that you that you that you worked on or that you spent a lot of, a lot of time practicing that kind of helped you to get to that point in in your more formative years, if you will. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, my teachers were always giving me different exercises, of course, and encouraging me to work with the metronome, you know, kind of all the standard stuff we hear all the time. I, I think there's a reason that we hear it all the time, because it just kind of works, you know, it's important to work on those things. But, uh, you know, one of my other teachers after my first teacher, this uh, a gentleman named Joel Fulgem who... I studied with for uh, most of my high school years, and and we we're still in touch to this day. He's a great mentor of mine, and an amazing drummer, and amazing teacher. But he always he said he never wanted to give like an exercise without it having uh, an, a musically applicable, um, you know, application. I guess so. He would give an exercise, Love but then that. he would immediately put on a song, and he would say, "Okay." This groove that I wrote down on this page, this is what it sounds like within the context of a of a band of a group, and so I think that was really helpful to mm. to always remember that we're playing music, we're not playing exercises, um, and we're playing music, we're not playing drums, you know. Uh,
0: yeah. Right. Wow.
2: So he was really great at, at having a balance because also he, you know, he was a great technician and, and he was hard on me about technique and about learning how to read charts and how to, you know, rudiments and and the technical side of things, but all for the purpose of making it so that you can express yourself and you can, uh, you know, play freer and smoother. And I I think all of those things help you groove better, honestly. Um, you know, it's like if we're trying to write a book and we have all these stories in our mind, but we don't, you know, know the alphabet or whatever, it would be hard to put that book on paper.
0: Yeah. I I, I was just talking the other day um, with a buddy of mine who's a great guitarist and pedal steel player. And I know that you guys know him, uh, Rich Hinman. Yeah. And we were we were just talking. We were just kind of musing about the fact of like how easy it is to get caught up in practicing and forget that, like, oh yeah, listening is such a huge part of developing yourself as a musician. Like sitting down and just putting a record on and really intently listening to it. And I, um, I, uh, I'm a couple days into reading the new Bill Frizzell book that just came out about a month ago. It's great. But one of the things that is being talked about a lot is when he was a teenager and his uh, teacher, he was studying with like one of the main things that they, that they did is his teacher would send him home with records to listen to of like Dizzy Gillespie and, uh, you know, all these, all these players, Jim Hall and stuff. And and that was a huge part of his kind of training, if you will, was just absorbing himself in the music. It's a lot like, you know, if you're going to learn Spanish or something and you just sit in a classroom and learn the, the techniques of sp- Spanish, but you don't ever go to Spain and absorb yourself in the language, you're probably not going to be fluent in yeah. the language. Like you, you might learn to speak it, and you know be able to carry on a conversation to a certain extent but you'll i don't think you'll ever truly become fluent unless you absorb yourself in the language and uh i don't think music is any any different than that
2: man that that's such a great analogy and yeah i guess i i you know owe a lot to my teachers for for they would do the same thing send me with records to listen to in fact Mm -hmm. uh just a quick funny story that comes to mind um I was, you know, I played sports growing up or whatever, and I was on the, uh, you know, freshman basketball, like, you know, B team or something, I don't remember. But we were on our way to a game, and I had my little Walkman, right? And my teacher had sent me home with uh, a Duke Ellington. It was Duke Ellington, Charles Mingus, and Max Roach. I think the album is called Money Jungle. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, jazz trio, like, it's a beautiful album, but for like a 14-year-old, you know, yeah, it's pretty deep. it's pretty obscure but you know, like most most other people on my team were listening to just whatever was popular at the time. But I remember <laughs> we we shared a bus with the cheerleaders and uh, Diane, one of my friends who was a cheerleader came over and and sat next to me on the bus. She's like, "Hey, man, you know what, Jordan? What are you What are you listening to?" She like took my headphones and put it on. What and I was listening fuck? to. I was listening <laughs> to you know muddy Jungle. <laughs> I, That's great. And uh, just it's a lot
0: cooler than what I was listening to when I was fourteen. Oh
2: well, I'm not saying I, I only listen to good things. I was literally doing it out of duty, you know, not because right. I just loved it, but because my teacher told me to. So I was like, "Oh, I should listen yeah. to this." So sure. Anyway, here I am on the the basketball team bus the cheerleader listens to it and uh i don't think she talked to me after that but <laughs> no
0: that, that was that <laughs> yeah. no. this yeah. guy's a psycho yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um i want to talk to you about your uh your your ears which i'm very interested in not not only selfishly but also i just think um i'm such a proponent in uh, the difficulties that we face as humans being turned into positive things, um, mm-hmm. if they're looked at in the in the right way. And we all have our difficulties that we face. And um, it sounded like that was a difficulty for you. Tell me what happened to your hearing.
2: Yeah. Well, when I was 19, I was living in Hawaii at the time, um, doing like the service trip for a couple of years. And Um, I had like an ear infection, um, that was really painful. I got some like ear drops. It, it took the pain away, but i never got rid of that kind of clogged, like water in the ear feeling. Um, and I just kind of, you know, I was busy, I focused on what I was doing and I just kind of ignored it because it wasn't painful anymore, but it was annoying, you know, because it was just clogged and eventually... Uh, I don't know, six months later, I was talking to a friend out there. He was like, hey, you know, I, I've i been going to this doctor for this ear infection because I was telling about my ear. And he was like, you should get that checked out because it could cause permanent damage. And I was like, oh, I don't even think about an ear infection causing permanent damage. I just assumed it'd be fine. Uh, so that inspired me to go to the doctor. Long story short, you know, many, many trips to... A couple different ENTs led them to find that I had this growth in my ear that was eating away at my hearing bones. My eardrum was intact, but the the hammer, anvil, and stapes are these three bones that send vibrations uh, to your eardrum, and mm. those were starting to erode because of this growth. So. Over the course of two years, I had four major surgeries where they go in through the back of your skull, like the skull part right by yep. the back of your ear, and two surgeries got rid of the growth, and then two surgeries, uh, they put prosthetic hearing bones in there to basically uh, reconstruct what I had, you know, what I what I was missing, um, and so... Yeah, for about two years, I had basically no hearing in my right ear. Um, wow! And then after the the last surgery, the hearing was restored significantly, but it's still. Uh, I tell people I have like a twenty five decibel pad on my right ear. Basically, like I can't mm-hmm. hold the phone up to my ear and really have a, a conversation. Uh, yeah, it's just really muffled. Um, and I, you know that was. A long time ago, that was over ten years ago. So I'm I'm used to it at this point. But it's definitely those two years were a, a huge trial, and you know struggled with a lot of uh, depression and and things geared towards that. Mm. And questions about well, yeah, you know, scary. It's very scary, as as you know, JP. You've been through a lot of things recently as well. So, um. But, you know, those that experience, honestly, has taught me a lot about music and and has also confirmed to me um, that music was the path that was right for me. Because,
0: Mm.
2: you know, when I was younger, uh, I knew I wanted to do music, but I wasn't sure if I should, you know. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to just feel like i'm talking too much but i guess i am no that's why you're here that's why i'm here that's
0: that's why you're here we we want you to talk
2: that's my personality though if i if i ever talk for more than a minute then i think oh i gotta ask someone (laughs) a question get them talking no
0: no keep talking please but
2: you know one one experience i had um which i might have shared with you jp before that really just kind of blew me away it was the very okay so after the third surgery i i I was supposed to be done. The hearing was supposed to come back, and it did start coming back as, you know, things were healing from the surgery. But about a month later, I went back to to ground zero, and I woke up, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't hear out of that ear ear again. Went to the doctor, took some x-rays, and the prosthetic little bone they put in had fallen out of place. And I was like, holy cow, like, you know what is going on? Cause I thought I was over it, you know, but yeah, here yeah. I am back to ground zero. And every time I had to have a surgery, it was a major life event uh, as, yep. you know, cause the healing, you, you know, I couldn't play drums for two months and I had committed to going on, you know, this, this big Europe tour with the college jazz band. And I was, you know, it was like my dream to do this. I was like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to do this. Anyway, all these things, very depressed, um, super down, you know, woe is me. Like, ah, uh, all these emotions and feelings. The same day that I got the news that my, you know, ears were messed up again, I had a concert at like the local library. Um, I was going to college in a in a town in Utah called Provo, Utah, and I was playing at this local library with the Dixieland jazz band. It's like the happiest <laughs> music you can yeah. play, right? It's like what yeah, they play at yeah. Disney World, yeah. Disneyland, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I was like not having it I was not smiling I was just like you know I wish I could see a photo from that day but I was just super down playing the gig anyway after the gig this uh elderly couple comes up to me and the lady starts speaking and I couldn't really understand what she was saying she had a funny you know timbre to her voice and and uh interesting inflection and she was saying some things and then the husband kind of leans over to me and he's like You know, that's my wife. She's deaf. Uh, And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I listened a little closer and, and she put her hand on her heart and she said, you know, I, I'm, I'm deaf. I couldn't hear the music, but I could feel it in my heart. You know, thank you for playing. And, you know, just so happened that that lady, a complete stranger was at the same show that I was playing on the day I found out I lost half of my hearing and here she is fully deaf. Um, saying that the music spoke to her heart and, you know, I went to my car after I packed up my drums and and I remember just like, you know, crying and just feeling, mm-hmm. uh, grateful that she said that because it reminded me, you know, even if I never get my hearing back, like music will still, uh, be a part of my life and I can still serve other people with the power of music because it speaks to our hearts and we don't mm-hmm. have to have working ears, to experience that
0: I think it's it's amazing how malleable your psychology is like I I think that uh I I think that when we go through these changes it's kind of like a shock to the system at first Mm -hmm. and once you get your head around it a little bit it, it somehow comes into focus a little easier and um and you get more perspective with it and, and it makes it easier to, to deal with, doesn't it? And, uh, and brings, brings to light some stuff that you might not have realized before that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all, all part of the yeah, journey. That's great.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Very inspiring.
2: Yeah, of course.
0: Um, Chris, uh, I, 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 I hope I'm not bogarting the interview too much. Is there anything? I've, I've got some some more questions that I'm curious about, but I I, I, I don't know if you have any questions too. I want to invite you to...
1: Well, I'd like to get into recording stuff because I know you do yeah. a lot of that too, but I wanted to just point out a few things that kind of caught my attention during the interview so far. Yeah. One was when you were talking about practice I think a lot of people are like, all right, I want to practice my guitar. And it's like, all right, I guess I'll just go play scales. And then it gets very boring quickly. And the way you guys were talking about it is how I've kind of always practiced of like, all right, I like this song, but I can't play this one part. Okay, what's the technique that's holding me back from playing this part? So I'm like already coming at it with like, all right, if I learn this technique, I'll be able to play this thing that I like. And it never Mm. feels like this torturous process where I'm just doing this mindless activity that I don't understand how it's gonna relate to making music. Is that kind of how you approach it as well?
2: Definitely, definitely. And you know, with the really mundane things of practicing drums, like rudiments and you know the the uh, the things you do on a practice pad, uh, I would often just put music on right right, and use that as my metronome and 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 i would just play paradiddles for you know four minutes along to whatever song i was listening to and and i feel like just like you're saying you know it just makes it more exciting um you know yeah i I think sometimes we think oh we have to to sit here and do this super boring thing but I, i think we can get creative and find ways to make it Uh, more enjoyable. For example, even today when I practice uh, those a little bit more mundane, you know, maintenance, technical things, um, I'll put on Netflix and and I'll have like a metronome Mm -hmm. on, I'll I'll have my headphones on, you know, I'll have Netflix on, I'll have the metronome in my my ear. and, um, And sometimes I'll just play, I'll just choose a groove to play, like a tempo that maybe I'm not as comfortable with or whatever and i'll just play that groove for the entire entire you know 30 minute episode and it's kind of fun because you know obviously there's music in the episode but i'm playing at a different tempo so it's like the kind yeah. of like the uh dissonance between you know the two different tempos is fun to explore um but honestly those are some of my my favorite practice sessions just because i'm not taking it too seriously like it makes me want to come back and do it more and i think a big part of practicing is just spending time with your instrument. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, not to say that you should have Netflix or music on the whole time, because I think there's value in a very focused practicing as well. But I think a combination is, is healthy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd kind of forgotten, but I used to do that as well, like play along. I'm, I'm an amateur drummer. I, I'm mainly <laughs> a bass. I'm mainly a bass player, but unlike nice. you, I get... Like, I want to play this and that, and I've done a lot of jumping around. Uh, But yeah, I used to play, you know, rudiments to music. The other thing I've done, which is weird, but it's kind of like you're playing one song and listening to, or watching Netflix and playing at a different tempo. Like, I've just put on music that I like and grabbed my bass and just totally ignored the chords because sometimes that's a hang up the like oh i gotta learn Mm -hmm. all the chords and that's what i really love about drums is that you can just put on music and you instantly are playing it and so i would just be like i'm just gonna play and it was almost like a rhythmic melodic practice by being totally different key missing all the chords wow and that's cool you just kind of let it go that like oh i'm playing like endless clams over here it was really fun because you were just totally focused on the the rhythm of it
2: that's very Um, wow
1: that's awesome that's very interesting Uh, the other things that kind of jumped out to me is one, the the f- kind of forced listening. Like, I've always liked to listen. All right, I like this band. And maybe it's some crappy band that you listened to in high school that no one would think was, like, musically excellent or whatever. But then, like, what are their influences? Oh, okay, and what are their influences? And just kind of keep going back. And, like, a lot of that stuff's challenging. You're Like, I don't really get why they like this. I don't even understand how this influences the thing I do like, but I'm going to force myself to, like, digest it until i get it you know sure and uh okay last thing i wanted to point out jp you were talking about like with the hearing loss of kind of having this positive reaction to kind of negative things that happen in your life and you know just have one of those i hope this isn't cheesy but that's just something i've really learned from watching you deal with a lot of different health challenges like i did not have that mindset like bad things happen to me it's like I just was like, oh, the world's against me, and, like, I, there was no gratitude, and that's something I've picked up from you and started practicing that in my life of, like, oh, this thing's happened, and I can just choose how I respond to it, and that's made, like, such a huge difference, and it's oh, really man, cool to hear you. both of you guys talking about that as a... I mean, obviously, yeah, you get bummed out when, you know, you right, lose hearing and you're a musician, but... uh yeah, but the way you respond to it is really inspiring. So I just want to throw that out there. And now I will Thanks, man. stop talking, you. and you guys can talk about recording. And
2: yeah, I'll just listen. Well, I just want to interject really quick for for any listeners, uh, who you know, don't haven't heard JP play play music. And sorry, I'm singling JP out because he's an old friend, and I'm just meeting Chris. But I'm sure you're a wonderful musician as well. But JP is like. One of the deepest, most soulful musicians, singer-songwriters, guitarists, pedal steel—like it, it's thanks, just dude. literally uh, next level. And so, do yourself a favor and, and go listen to his music. And and I think the the things you've been through, you know, come that comes out in your music. You express that from your soul, and uh, and it really shows. So, I, I totally Man. agree with what Chris is saying.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. That's super sweet. Man, I wish all three of us were in the same place. We just do some playing right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really let's God do damn. it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so great. Well, thank you both uh, for making me feel great. I appreciate that. I love you both. You guys are awesome. And Aww. I feel the same about you. Um, this has become a giant love fest and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about something that all three of us love so much, way too much microphones. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan and I have spent many a hour on the phone ma- many a hours on the phone talking about microphones and lord knows Jacoby and I have spent probably whatever Jordan and I have done times it by two. Well we've
1: spent I don't know at least three hours of this podcast talking about yeah. it. The past couple yeah. weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Jordan you, you have some very cool Microphones, um, some old RCAs, a set of Coles four thirty eights. You've got you've got the goods. Um, Talk to me about some of your favorite microphones. Talk to me about some of your favorite microphone setups that you do in your home studio because I I know that you do a lot of recording out of your uh, apartment in Brooklyn.
2: Yes, yes. It used to be my apartment, but about a year ago, I moved into a rental space, a little bigger soundproof don't have to worry about neighbors uh that's where i am currently talking to you guys and that that was a nice upgrade but microphones yeah um you know they're awesome i i really like them and (laughs) 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 you know it uh it changes depending on what you know what i'm recording the sound i'm going for If I'm just recording something for myself, I usually go with a simpler setup, a couple of cool ribbon mics, a couple of dynamic mics. I like the kind of warm, you know, fat, crunchy uh, sounds that I can get out of ribbon mics. But oftentimes, I'm recording for someone else remotely, and so I like to send options to let them choose on the other end you know, what, what they want. And so right now I kind of have this like template set up and I had an engineer friend of mine, uh, who's my studio neighbor, Chris Weingarten, really fantastic engineer, mixing, mastering engineer. And so he helped me kind of set this up and it's, you know it's a combination of things i have a, a a couple of different room mic options i have a stereo ribbon mic in the room uh, uh aea r88 which kind of just blows me away that mic's amazing yeah
0: chris has got that mic and it's 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 so good i was it's i was so using
1: good. mine yesterday actually and i was like god this mic is just incredible it's incredible Bonkers.
2: yeah it's it's really really great uh And then obviously the Coles, they'll usually live, uh, as a stereo pair of overheads. I have them in kind of a Glenn Johns or recorder man, uh, technique right now where there's a mono overhead and then, uh, one like above my right shoulder, uh, Mm -hmm. equidistant from the kind of like the midpoint of the center and the kick, um. But I also have a pair of pencil condensers, nothing special. It's uh, road n t fives with the Michael Jolly mod capsules. Mm-hmm. so they just sound uh you know much better than just the straight up n t fives. I'm looking to upgrade those at some point, but th- they sound good and and you know just add a little bit more uh sparkle and clarity to the coals. So basically, I've got those in an x y, and I tell people like. You know, you could use that as a stereo overhead and then mix in the mono Coles, you know, as a mono overhead. Or you could not use the pencils and use the stereo recorder man setup coals, you know, if you want that warmer sound. Uh, So options there. And then, of course, everything's close mic'd, you know, kind of standard standard options. Um, On the kick... I usually have like a kick-in dynamic, um, and then I have this FET clone. It's a a Sound Deluxe U195 or Bach U195. They've changed the name of the company a couple times. But um, that sounds really great for a kick-out. But, yeah, recently I, I acquired a couple of old RCA ribbon mics from an estate sale. I got a RCA 44B. Uh, And an RCA 77 um, and had them re-ribboned and fixed up by uh, Cole, Cole Picks Vintage. He's based in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Amazing mic tech. Um, And the 44, I recently, I've used it in a couple different places, like kind of a mono room sounds amazing. But on the last session I did, I used it as a kick out mic. Mm Mm-hmm. And it kind of blew me away. It was just so so round and and beautiful. And I got where where
0: where 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 did you place it? Like how how far out from the kick drum?
2: It's about a foot away from the kick drum and it's kind of it's kind of like uh the height of like the, the top of the drum, but it's like facing down a little bit. Yeah. It's like facing towards the middle of the drum, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I
0: I wouldn't be surprised if you could use that as just a mono mic for the whole kit and it yeah. would sound killer. Yeah,
2: I know a lot of people have done that. Yeah. And yeah. It it does. It it just it has a really amazing spectrum. You know, all the lows, it gets some nice smooth highs and it's just fat and and delicious.
1: Wow. Yeah. yeah. JP and I were talking about uh that Alabama shakes record sound and color and we were looking into that and apparently probably half the drum sounds are just a 77 in the middle of the kit like heavily affected like they recorded all the mics and then just muted them so yeah really yeah
2: wait a second and then a yeah 77 the or a 44 a
1: 77 just like in the, the middle of the kit and then i think they put up a piece of foam to keep the ride keep the ride bleed in check and then the other half of the album, they just did like a, what was it, a fifty-seven or something, just on the floor yeah. or like <laughs> under the stair yeah. or something, Crazy. and then just blew it up with EQ and compression and. I saturation. gotta send you this.
0: Um, I, I, I gotta send you this uh, article on that album. Actually, we'll we'll uh, we'll put it up in the show notes because I'm sure other people would be interested to read it. But it's it's very in depth about that album. Wow. Um, and it's great. It's totally, totally killer, um but yeah, the way that they mic the drums are is pretty surprising not not what you would think when when yeah. you hear it that's um, amazing, yeah, very cool.
1: So add that into your list of twenty microphones, you put it on the kick for people, and you could just use this one, but you know. yeah, right, yeah, exactly,
2: exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> man, um, yeah. Uh, Chris, do you have any any uh, anything you wanted to say?
1: Um, I guess just maybe, you know, if somebody wanted to... I guess JP listed out a lot of people that you've played with, but um, if people wanted to, like, hire you as a remote drummer, how do they go about doing that?
2: Yeah, so uh, they can hit me up on Instagram or email, um, you know. And, yeah, uh, I, I'd love to to talk. Um I, I've been doing that quite a bit uh throughout the pandemic and and even now. Um so would be happy to to talk. I, I love Great. recording. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Be sure to check out uh Jordan on Instagram. He's at Jordan Rose. Uh he's always got really cool videos of him playing these really deep fat grooves and I love Ah, them. They're awesome. Um, It's at Jordan
2: Jordan Rose Drums.
0: Oh, thank you for correcting me. At Jordan Rose Drums, excuse me. Yes. Um, (laughs) Check them out. Uh, Man, Jordan, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing uh, how you go about playing and thinking about music.
2: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast that you guys have started and and I I hope it just goes for years and years because you're just uh, giving away so much beautiful knowledge and uh, you're both great people. So thank you for having me. It's an honor.
0: For sure. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Everybody check out Jordan Rose and thanks for tuning in. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode
1: of Music Production Talks. If you're enjoying this podcast and are finding it to be beneficial for your growth as a musician, we would really appreciate a subscribe and a positive review on whichever platform you use for streaming.
0: Reviews and subscribes help us grow the show and rank higher in podcast search engines. Thanks so much again, and we'll catch you next time.